We're currently in the book of Daniel over the summer in a series entitled Placed for Purpose and Daniel lived in exile. He was an Israelite, he was part of the people of God, taken away from Jerusalem, his home, to a place called Babylon, which was a place that was unfamiliar, uncomfortable, often hostile, a place that rejected God. We all too find ourselves in exile as part of the human condition. There is much good and beauty in the world around us, but there's also much pain and distress and ugliness. We experience that from outside of ourselves in the world we live in, and you only need to look at your news each day to see there is a lot of distress, a lot of evil, a lot of suffering. But also we find it within us as well that somehow we're part of the problem, not at home. And home is to be with God. And God is good. That's why Augustine said, that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. But God is so good, not a self-serving God, but a self-giving God. He would have us come home with him. And so he so loved the world that is in exile that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He gave us Jesus Jesus is God's gift to us. He's God with us. He shows us what life under God's reign looks like. Where Jesus is, there is justice and mercy, joy and peace, life and light, healing and hope, love and self-giving community. And yet, this man, Jesus, perfect man, bearing the image of God, and God was crucified. (coughs) Crucified. Not just didn't just die, crucified. The most horrific and debasing and dehumanizing form of execution. The whole point of of crucifixion was it was supposed to wipe out the memory of someone. They're less than human. And yet Jesus, this God-man, was crucified. And at the cross, he fully identified with us in our exile taken upon himself everything that distorts and disfigures humanity, sin and death and evil. And on the cross, Jesus decisively defeated everything that twists and distorts and disfigures humanity, sin and death and evil. Picture of the man on the cross. How is it that we've come to worship a crucified man? Have you ever thought that? because he was bringing us out of our distortion into the goodness of God. And he declared in his final breath, it is finished. Jesus joined us in exile to bring us home. He became what we are so that we might become what he is. Or as it's put in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, For your sake, he, God, made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, the crucified one, is risen from the dead. And through him, God has begun new creation. He will undo all wrong 
and put the world to rights, and he starts with us. But for now, we live in the promise that he will make all things new, guaranteed by what's already happened, the cross and resurrection event that has happened in time and space, never to be undone. But we live in the in-between moment. So how do we live in a world that we know is not right, not fully home? How do we live as exiles in this world? What does it look like to follow and belong to Jesus in our current experience of life? What should we do? Just huddle in, isolate? No. Just be like everyone else, just embrace everything that's on offer within the world? No. Jesus calls us to be part of this new creation by being in every part of the world, like yeast through dough, bringing influence that's distinctively Christ-like, distinctively like him, be his kingdom bringers, as it were. Ultimately, of course, he's the one who brings the kingdom. But he calls us, in his words, to be salt and light, those who point to what's to come. And through Daniel's life, we see an example of what that looks like. Daniel was placed in Babylon for purpose. We're placed in Birmingham for purpose. And part of that purpose is to bring Christ-shaped influence wherever we go, kingdom influence, salt and light influence. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Placed for purpose, placed to bring influence. And we're going to read a bit of the Bible, therefore, now, which is going to give us just a snapshot of what influence looked like for Daniel. And I've asked Becca, my wife, to come and read because she's much better at reading than me. She always says, I never read ahead, so I always get kind of muddled up in my words, which she does. So Becca's going to read it to us. Pressure's on. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is, not, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. 
No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, who the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles of Judah who came to tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner, can explain to the king what the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were there lying, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Thank you, Becca. Now, it feels a bit like a cliffhanger to leave it there, but we're going to leave it there, and you can, <laughs> you can read the dream yourself in your own time. Um, so, what we've seen is an oppressive king making a demand of his advisors and magicians, saying, I've had this dream, you need to tell me what the dream was and interpret it for me, otherwise you're dead meat, and so is everything else that you love. And... Daniel finds himself caught up in this situation and yet steps forward as the representative of those wise men. And God graciously gives him the interpretation, or the dream and the interpretation. He does what no man can do. 
and then as a result, the wise men don't get put to death and Nebuchadnezzar gets told something true of God, which in the end turns his life. That's the kind of summary of what we've just heard there. What I'm going to do over the next half an hour or so is just to ask three questions for us. Where does kingdom influence come from? Firstly, where does it come from? Secondly, what does it look like? And then thirdly, how is it experienced? What's it like to experience kingdom influence? Firstly, where does kingdom influence come from? Well, it comes from the king. It it comes from God, who we know through King Jesus. It is God who places you for influence. So in Daniel 1 verse 4, we read that Daniel was brought to Babylon on accounts of the gifts God had given him. He was handsome, of noble birth, clever, competent, the kind of guy you want to be around. I like to picture Rod Massey and think I'm probably on the right track and think of that. All these are gifts from God. Daniel didn't earn them, he didn't produce them, he was given them. And Daniel was placed in the king's service by God. That wasn't part of his career advice. It wasn't that he had an advisor who said, you should really go for a career in Babylon under the king's service. No, God put him there. It says in Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. And not many of us are as gifted as Daniel. And, and not many of us keep the high company of Daniel. But that really is not in your hands. Bringing kingdom influence is not about measuring the size of your gifting or the scale of your position as the barometer of your significance. It's not about being super talented or being around powerful places. The scripture attests to that all the time. Think of John 6 and a little boy with a packed lunch who God caught up in his plan through Jesus to feed over 5,000. Think about Mark 12 where A poor widow with no worldly significance is picked out by Jesus as an example of generosity and finds herself influencing the whole world now since she's in the scriptures that God's using to transform everything. So it's not, influence is not about the size of your talent or the size of your arena. It's about the posture of your heart. It's about the posture of your heart. Daniel had a heart that was turned to God. In Daniel 1.8, we read that Daniel refused to eat the king's food when he was brought into the king's service, choosing vegetables and water instead, not wanting to defile himself. His heart belonged to God. God was his treasure. He had tasted and seen the Lord is good. So he would feed upon the goodness and grace and free gifts of God rather than what the Babylonian culture had to offer him, even though he was offered its most appealing delicacies. Instead, he wanted God. God had grabbed his heart. God's goodness and grace was sufficient for Daniel because nothing compares to knowing him. He's the fountain of all life who satisfies the deepest hungers of our soul. And this was noticeable. Daniel's feeding upon all that God freely gives to him meant that actually there was something about Daniel and his friends which people noticed. People wanted to be around them. 
because being around them did you good. Of course, for some, that evokes jealousy and envy. But in Daniel 1.20, it's clear that being around Daniel and his friends does you good, whether you like it or not. What's the posture of your heart? You know, we all exert an influence on those around us, whether you're a senior professional or at home with your family, whether you're retired or in a recovery program, whether you're at primary school or in a nursing home. We all influence those around us. And your influence will be determined by the priority of your heart. What do you most love? If you most love money or power or experience or popularity or reputation or comfort, all those things will drive you actually to take from others around you in order to serve your heart's priority. End up being a a bad influence. But if your heart is turned to the living God, then everything begins to fall into its rightful place. When you allow him to serve you, we'll come back to this, to nourish you, to sustain you, to care for you. When you enjoy loving him, seeing him, saving from him, saving him, sharing with him your pains and your distress and your hopes and your joys, understanding who he is, knowing he's yours, your God, your giving God. Or then, as 1 John 4, 19 says, then we love because he first loved us. Living in his love gives us capacity to love others, become a good influence. Do you know, in my times of greatest kingdom influence in my life, short though it's been so far, um, have been most when I've been enjoying who Jesus is for me and just receiving his grace and living in his goodness. There have been times when I've taken my eye off of that priority and instead sought influence for influence's sake. I've got to be a history maker. I've got to do something. And burnt out. But actually, what I'm called to do is abide in Christ. John 15. I can't do anything on my own. Abide in me, Jesus says and you will produce fruit that lasts. Where does kingdom influence come from? A heart turned to God, receiving from him, enjoying Jesus, the king. The more we love him, the more we become like him, the more people around us enjoy kingdom influence. Where does it come from? It comes from the king. What does kingdom influence look like then? What does our influence look like when our hearts are enjoying Jesus? Well, it looks like a number of things. Let's look at Daniel. Firstly, kingdom influence looks like integrity. Be who you say you are. Do what you say you'll do with nothing to hide. Daniel 1.18, sorry, Daniel, in Daniel 1.8 again, he refused to eat the king's food, choosing rather not to defile himself. We don't need to go into the details of of exactly why, although it's fascinating. But deciding, no, I'm choosing God. In public and in private. In the big and in the small. And then in Daniel 2, 13 to 16, we see his integrity in that Daniel 
owns his position as one of the wise men appointed for the king. He shares in their severe fate. Daniel was so unlike the magicians and enchanters and astrologers, yet he owned his appointed role to be one of them to the king. A man of integrity, diligent in his work, owning what he'd been appointed to do. Are you the same person at work, at home, at church, at parties? When I was in sixth form, I was invited to a party from a really popular guy at at the college. So um, I just wanted to blend in, you know. Just, um, I was with my friend Andrew Brown. We weren't the coolest kids in school, but I felt like we could do this. So I went in to the party, and then within a few moments, I received a drink from someone, and then I proceeded to spill the drink all over me. But that's exactly what I do at home. So in a sense, there was integrity in that moment. You know, it's easy to allow small compromises to come in to begin affect all of life. But we're called to be consistent, be, be people of integrity, whose heart are postured to God. And part of that is owning the plight of those you're placed amongst, which Daniel does here. Calling out injustice. Involve yourself in the well-being of others whom you've been placed amongst. I was over blown away this morning by the pile of clothes as a result of Moby and Udi in their small group saying, there's a hostel of refugees, exiles. They're in our city. They're our people. Let's provide for them. Because actually, they've been suffering injustice. I'm hugely challenged by that. Integrity means owning it. This, here last week, I stood up and said, let's do that. Let's bring our, not just our kind of castaway clothes, but our best. And then I completely forgot about it until about half an hour before coming this morning. And probably only because I was looking at the preach. I think, oh, what's the integrity in that? God, may I not just speak against injustice, may I be part of meeting it with the goodness and grace of God, as led by our dear friends, in Moby and Udi's small group. If there's sexual oppression happening in our communities, we own it as our problem. If you're a teacher and teachers are being badly treated, speak up for teachers whether you're directly affected or not. If in your neighborhood there's need, be involved. A couple of years ago there was the bin strike and um, we had this mountains of black bin bags piled up in our grove. It's like ours was the only grove that they didn't come to for like a couple of months. I think it wasn't that. But then after a while, of course, like the bin bags split and there was just rubbish all across the street. And just felt I needed to put on some gloves and pick up all that rubbish. So I started doing that and the neighbors started doing it too. And we all did it together. We owned each other's problem. There was integrity in that. Part of integrity is being who you say you are and being involved in the area you're in. So that was it. that's what it looks like. It's been kingdom influence. What else does it look like? It looks like being winsome, kind, seeking to understand people. Daniel 14, we read that when he spoke to Arioch, he did so with wisdom and tact. And we're going to see that again and again. Daniel's just so easy to like. He just wins people. 
He wins their respect and their trust and their affection. And it's not because he's wishy-washy. He's not a yes man. Part of being in exile and speaking to people who do not recognize your God is that sometimes you say things which are hard to hear and hard to say. But whenever he speaks up against issues, he's for the person in front of him. In, in chapter 4, you'll, you'll, you'll read him saying some things to Nebuchadnezzar which are hard to say and hard to hear, but still you get his compassion for the king. He's kind, he's winsome. Having integrity does not mean hitting people over the head with whatever issue you're defending. Perhaps at work your boss asks you to do something that you know is compromising, and kingdom influence in that moment looks like having integrity, standing for what's right, but doing so winsomely. Seeking to speak out against the issue, but for people. And we, in our grove, had had some leaflets which are supposed to be Christian leaflets so that there's no name and there's nothing on it. And they're tiny little things, but they're just full of threats about what will happen to people if they don't believe. And various parts of the Bible taken out of context. And it's not winsome at all. It's not kingdom influence. Because the Lord wants to turn hearts by showing people who he is and what he's like. The one who seeks to bring us home out of our exile. Kingdom influence is winsome. Thirdly, it's, it's courageous, bold. You know, Daniel calls this matter what it is. The king's uh, decree is a harsh one. It's unfair. It's oppressive. And Daniel risks his own interest and safety as a representative of the oppressed. Nebuchadnezzar's judgment was harsh. And the wise men of his kingdom were being oppressed. They were vulnerable at this moment in time. They were not godly, but they were vulnerable. And so he stood in. Daniel is not self-seeking and is not separating himself from their predicament because he's so different from them. He's entering into it. Courageously, self-givingly, imaging his God. It's bold. Just this week, there's an article in, in the news about the rapper Stormzy, who um, has entered into a for, form of injustice that he's seeing and wants to be part of addressing that and writing it, which is to say that he's funding Cambridge scholarships for two black students over the next two years because he recognizes that black students are equally as brilliant as their Caucasian counterparts, but often do not get afforded the same opportunities for means of limited resources. So he's owning that. It's my problem. I want to be part of addressing that injustice. And in so doing, he's bringing kingdom influence. He's a believer. It's so easy when there's injustice or threat to just tut disapprovingly and then move right on thinking only of our own interests. That's not the way of Christ. He is precisely the one who walks into the plight of others and makes it his own. That's what kingdom influence does. Daniel owned the plight of the wise men of Babylon before Nebuchadnezzar at whatever cost. And this again challenges me. Challenges me. Is that, is that my attitude? Or actually, do I mostly look after my own interests? Number four, 
kingdom influence looks like community. Daniel 2, 17 to 18 describes how in this moment of influence, Daniel needed his friends. There's a couple of different angles at which we can look at Daniel. We'll come back to that. But in this moment, we see something of ourselves in Daniel. This was a burden that was too much for him to carry on his own. He felt the weight of the situation. He needed not to be alone. So he shared it with his believing friends so that they could own it together before God. They shouldered this one together. God places us amongst fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, so that in our places of kingdom influence, we can shoulder that together. That's why, as Hebrew puts it, we do not give up the habit of meeting together in small groups, in coffee shops, on football fields, on a Sunday. We share the burdens we carry. We celebrate the successes we have. We hold one another up before God. I need you. There's things I just can't do on my own. It it becomes too much. You need me. We've been joined together with a body, many parts, different skills, different forms of influence, but one body dependent upon God, nourished and sustained by Jesus, the head of the body. Kingdom influence happens within community. We do more together than we can apart. And kingdom influence also looks like dependence on God. So we see that with Daniel and Azariah and Hananiah and Mishael. They cry out to God for mercy. God, we can't do this. This is an impossible thing. Who can tell a man his dream and then interpret it? It's impossible. But what's impossible for man is possible with God. So Daniel and his friends bring that burden before God and cry out to him like little children before their loving father. God, help. Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. Being brought to utter dependence upon God is not always a comfortable experience. Different ones of us have had that experience, some of us more recently than others. But it will happen to you if you are an exile in this world. You will experience times of complete personal inadequacy. You realize your own frailty. You realize your own limitation. You realize you're just dust. And it's deeply unsettling and humbling. And at the very same time, it is deeply liberating. And in the end, it's joyful and a peace-giving experience. It's both unsettling and releasing. Because in your frailty, you see God's all-sufficiency. He is not just able, he is good. He is kind. He is faithful. And in coming to see that, the result is a song of self-forgetful praise to him, which is what Daniel sings. Kingdom influence looks like dependence upon God. We are not the bringers of the kingdom in that sense. In the truest sense of the word, Jesus is the bringer of the kingdom. But he uses us to bring kingdom influence. He catches us up. We're his hands and his feet, his bride. But we're totally dependent upon him. 
And that leads to the final thing I want to say about what kingdom influence looks like. And of course, this is not an exhaustive list. It looks like humility. Daniel came to know that what the scriptures say is true. James 1.17. Every good gift comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights. From, from one angle, Daniel's moment of kingdom influence is not about Daniel really at all. It's not about making a name for himself. It's not about being a history maker. In the end, God's gift was not from Daniel and was not really only even for Daniel. It was a gift of grace from God to Daniel for the ungodly king of Babylon. Amazing grace, and Daniel was caught up in it. In your places of influence, understand that in the end, it's not ultimately about you. It's about God's indescribable grace freely given to you for the good of those around you. He catches us up in it so that we might pour it out. The flow is always down and out. What you lack, he is. You lack peace. He is peace. You lack wisdom. He is wisdom. You lack kindness. He is kindness. Through Jesus, God has given us everything, he, everything we need. So that in John 1, it says, from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Receive from him. And then pass it on to your kids at home, to your colleagues at work, to your residents in the house, to your neighbors across the road. Humble service fueled by grace. I find myself praying like this all the time at the moment. Giving God what I have so that I might receive what he has. God, I give you my anxiety. I receive your peace. I give you my fear. I receive your perfect love. I give you my restlessness. I receive your Sabbath. I give you my striving. I receive your finished work. And as I live in that, I start to notice people around me and be more involved with their situation because from his fullness, I've received grace upon grace and the flow is always down and out. We're called to be a bunch of down and outs. Receive, give. What does kingdom influence look like? Integrity, winsome kindness, diligence, courage, community, dependence on God, humility. That's what it looks like to be exiles living for Jesus' kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. To finish then, how is kingdom influence experienced? It's experienced as grace to the undeserving. It is gospel-shaped and it is cruciform. Maybe as we've been listening, we've been feeling, oh man, can't do it. Well, we're supposed to get there. Have you noticed how we see Jesus mirrored in Daniel? See, from one angle, we do see something of ourselves as Daniel in kind of that exile situation. But from another, perhaps even better angle, we see Jesus mirrored in Daniel because as he described to his disciples on the Emmaus Road, all of scriptures about him. Let's, let's look from that angle and see Daniel afresh and see Christ in him. 
How does Daniel mirror Jesus? Well, Daniel enters into the plight of the oppressed wise men of Babylon. And though they are wicked and he is so different to them, set apart, Daniel still identifies with them. Daniel joins them in their judgment since they are helpless to save themselves because no man can do what needs to be done. But God works through righteous Daniel on behalf of the ungodly. And through righteous Daniel saves not only his devoted people, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, but also the ungodly wise men speaking for them. In verse 24, requesting, do not destroy the wise men. God's grace abounds through him to them, though they hardly even know it. He acts on behalf of the oppressed, but, but, not only does God's grace extend through righteous Daniel to the oppressed, but also to the oppressor, to Nebuchadnezzar, who is blessed through this interpretation of the dream, and in the end, that sets him on a course whereby his heart will turn to God and know him as his God. In Daniel, we see not only a model of kingdom influence for us to imitate, we see the king himself mirrored through Daniel. He is the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the one who fights for the defenseless. He is the one who addresses every injustice. He is the one who does what is impossible for man to do. He is the one who works on behalf of the ungodly in order to bring them back to God. He is the one who brings exiles home. And who are the ungodly? Friends, in the final reckoning, we are. Romans 3, 23 to 24, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are freely justified by his grace as a gift in the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. He takes on himself our burden in order to give us his blessedness. Our sin for his righteousness, our death for his life, our condemnation for his approval, our slavery for his sonship. And so 1 Peter 3.18 says, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to bring you home, to bring us home. So Peter, Paul talks about it in Corinthians. He says, be reconciled. It's a passive thing. The reconciliation has happened through Jesus. Be reconciled. Let it happen to you. And then call others to be reconciled because he's the one who does it. He's the one who justifies the ungodly. Romans 4, 5 says, For the one who does not work but trusts in he who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. He Jesus is the righteous one. In him we take refuge. And he makes us his own so that we can be kingdom influencers in the different places that we're sent. What a gospel, what a king. You have been placed for influence in all the locations and activities of your daily life to reveal the kingdom of God, to be salt and light. But you cannot do this without first knowing 
and daily living in the truth that Jesus has served you and already done for you what you cannot do. Bringing us to God, totally accepted in him and restored by him. It is for you. You're in this room. God's word is coming to us. It is for you. Martin Luther said, if Jesus, something along the lines of Jesus was to be crucified and suffer and die and rise, but no one was to tell me of the news, what good would that be? I need someone to take the message and say, and this is a direct quote, this is for you, take what is yours. That's what gospel proclamation is all about. That's why we live under it every week. Because God says, Jesus is for you, take what is yours. He has promised to make all things new. Ultimately, he's the one who brings the kingdom. He will complete what he started. And where we fail, he has succeeded. So keep looking to him. Receiving from him, trusting in him, and calling out, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Shall we stand? I'll pray for us. Thank you that in every way your kingdom is good, Father. Thank you, Jesus, you are the most wonderful king and your kingdom is good. You, O God, are light. In you there is no darkness at all and so your kingdom is light and life. And I thank you that you are the one committed to bringing us into the kingdom and the one committed to seeing your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, the decisive action has been taken. Christ has been crucified. Christ is risen. It is done. And so thank you that we live in the proclamation of what God has done and will do. That one day, Father God, you will cause your son to return and make all things new. But in the meantime, we live by the Spirit, trusting in Jesus and sent into our different places of influence and daily activity in order to be salt and light, to receive grace from you that we might give it out to others. Lord, we need you. I, I feel so much my need of you, Lord. I need you every hour. And where we fail, we repent but we receive the grace of God who justifies the ungodly and say, yes, yes, and yes to you, Jesus. You are king, my king. You are Lord, our Lord. You are God, our God. And your light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.